0: Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. This is Ragu, and I'm going to introduce a talk from Ramdas that's from all the way back to the mid 70s Separation, Lust, and Kali. A little enigmatic, but uh, I'll uh, give you some of the highlights in a minute. I just want to say a couple of things, announcement wise. First of all, we're. Um, three months and change into the Be Here Now Network and all of these wonderful podcasts and heart wisdom articles and uh, teacher spotlights. We have a lot of uh, really rich information and um, spiritual succor, as they say. No, really, uh, we're pretty happy to be involved here and have, you know, the likes of, uh, of course, Ramdas, Dass, and Jack, and Sharon, and Joseph. Now, they, everybody just gets first names now. Lama Surya Das and uh, Danny Goldberg, and Chris Grosso, and we've got Ramdev, Dale Borglum, and we've got wonderful guests. We have a whole guest podcast corner now. You can check out on com and uh i'm i'm going to just emphasize a little bit on as we're coming up into the giving season and uh this has taken a lot to prepare this this whole uh web hub around all of these wonderful wisdom teachers and we appreciate the support we have gotten and please continue that In fact, those of you who can afford to uh, do a monthly donation, even if it's just $9 a month, that goes a long way to helping out the network and all of the teachers and all of the people who work for it. It takes quite a bit to get these things done. And by the way, we have a YouTube YouTube channel, BeHereNowNetwork.com, and you can see some of the podcasts and other events that we put up there, other uh, videos. So you can check that out too. So that so recurring a small recurring would be fabulous, and of course the uh, Amazon link. If you can bookmark our link and and you know, I know everybody—not everybody, but geez, a lot of everybody—does go to Amazon and purchase all of what uh, one needs. It comes within two days. It's insane. Um, I use it all the time for supplements. Uh, they have every possible supplement from every possible company. So that's just a tip to to go there. Uh other than that, by the way, there's a fantastic new Van Morrison album out. <laughs> I just read about. It. And Bruce Springsteen and his book is supposed to be fabulous. There's a couple of tips. I usually do those on Mind Rolling, but I'm doing them here today. Uh the other uh, announcement is that uh we have an app that we've been working on for a year, the Heart Mind app and it is finally here. And is available, go to the iTunes store and look for Heart Mind One Word. And just uh you'll you'll get it. It's got a beautiful uh um little trademark that we put together. It's not called a trademark. Whatever it's called, it's really lovely. It's uh it's kind of this the sky and a heart. It's really beautiful. Uh so do check this out. Now uh it's of course it's got all the podcasts. Of course, it's got uh, all of the uh, articles that we put together and more uh, in a, uh, it's got like five sections. There's a featured section, there's a wisdom section, there's a uh, the big surprise section, which is Life in Balance, which is a fantastic uh, in-app course as it is right now. We're only making available through the app, uh, and it's really reasonable, and it's another great way to support what we're doing. These are all, uh, it's it's about a life in balance, just like it says, but you, once you download it, you can get all the description, and it really represents all of the teachers that we've been having on uh, the network and excerpts uh, on different topics that we uh, we really do believe is going to help everybody uh, just get day-to-day balance. Then there's a meditation uh, section a practice section you can get different meditations with timers uh you you can get a, a a wonderful uh yoga 5 minute yoga 8 minute yoga thing with my lovely wife Saraswati doing a chair yoga thing so while you're sitting at work you can actually do that through the app not to mention chants and uh kirtan and mantras it's just uh, it it is truly i mean these are all hyperbole that i'm getting into rich Using that word again, it's a rich experience, but it really is. And then there's a Discover section, which is uh, just different little bubbles floating through your screen, and you just kind of hit one randomly, and you get a podcast or an article or video. Uh, it's it's super. So, HeartMind, please go up there and uh, uh, onto your uh, iPhone. It is not available as an Android right now, because... We just don't have the money to create uh, an Android app, to be honest, at this point. Uh, If this does well, then we will uh, put it together. Another reason why we do have to ask for support for what we're doing here. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, I would love feedback from from you all about the app especially. So info at ramdas.org will do, or just write up on the Be Here Now Network on Ramdas's page, do the comment there, anything. It all works. So, Ram Das on separation, lust, and Kali. Actually, it was called separation, lust, and methods. But actually, the method is all around the giving up of impurities to the mother goddess, Kali. So, I decided to just uh, got more of a ring to it. So, this whole thing, this, um, this is good stuff. He just starts out by saying, "You think that you are somebody." So we're—it's—it's we're, it's really a talk around the somebodyness that we all inhabit, and uh, therein lies the—the the obvious that that somebodyness means separateness, because we are a somebody, completely separate from everybody around us. So this is. Uh, the first part of this is what is at the core of the illusion of separateness of a separate psychological self. So the fact that Ramdas was a psychologist uh, really uh, doesn't it add? You know, over time we've all heard uh, all of these different talks from him, and the fact that he's a psychologist really helps in 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 his getting to an understanding of. Of treading the path, the spiritual path, and who we are what we 're made of, and how we uh, can work with the you know the the identities and the roles that we carry around with us um, and also which is a good reminder uh, what you start with as a fertilized egg is not a blank slate, of course that requires uh believing in. Karma and reincarnation and past lives, and, uh, but as far as he's concerned and as far as my own understanding, that we come in with a unique map of predisposed factors as a result of previous births. You know what? I think we all can identify with that. I mean, um, here's a stupid example. I have two sons. They grew up with a uh, hippie mother and father back in the day. And, uh, you know, totally marijuana permissive. I mean, we believed it was sacred herb. I still do. And uh, one one of my sons said to me, okay, well, you know, can I, can I have a toke?" And I, we said, mother and I said, well, no, not until you're 17 or whatever it was. And that day, of course, he came over and said, I'm ready. And then there's the other son. He never, to this day, he's around 40 now, he has never taken a toke or a drink in his life. He's a complete teetoler. Is that the word? Teetoler? Um, so, how he grew up in this completely, uh, not, I mean, we didn't have alcohol around. That wasn't our thing. It was pot. And he grew up in this atmosphere, never had a toke. Come on got to be something from past life that he came in with with this predisposed factor it's it's a silly example but it's actually not that silly um there's something in here i love from alan watts um about what sin is because everybody's like sin it's a fearful thing and alan watts describes ramdas mentions this he describes sin as um it means missing the mark (laughs) right missing the mark that's sin. It's not about guilt and all of that. Uh, and it's, uh, we would say, it's a choice to go against the flow of it all. That's really what it is. Isn't that a great uh, definition? I love that. Um, what else here? Some other highlights um, of this talk. Um, well, w- one thing for sure. The impurities, so the stuff that keeps you from going to the one. To merge with God, whatever you want to call it, is the model you have uh, of of who you are. So, in other words, I identify at this point and have for you know a long, long time that uh, yeah, the object is uh, being a person on the path. That everything that I'm encountering on the day-to-day grist for the mill is a neat book he put together whatever that human condition that I have, that I'm part of, that we all have, and I know it's that that, that keeps me in this separated place, then that's how I identify myself as. I mean, I obviously get lost all the time in that somebody related to my work or related to me as a husband, father, whatever, but uh, I I always do manage to come back to... Who I am is this person that is working to uh, transform the the stuff that keeps me separate. So I think that's a. He talks about that. This is a great thing around you know the whole idea of uh, separateness. And then uh, he, I'll just mention this last thing is uh, is around lust. He Talks about lust. because um, the interesting th- the interesting thing is that when you are separate, you yearn to get back to the feeling of being whole again. What's the easiest way to do that? Orgasm, having sex, having an or, not having sex, having an orgasm. Because while you're in the foreplay and all that, there's all these subject-object thing going on, which turns you on. But only at the moment of orgasm, there is no you. You are in the flow. You're in the Tao. Uh, but of course, it stops. It it it's over. I mean, it's only seconds, right? Because it's in time then it is inherently, of course, involves suffering because you just cannot make permanent that space of non-separateness. And that, that's an interesting thing to that he segues from this whole identification with yourself as a separate being and what that's all made up of and how to understand who you are and take a different vantage point. And then this, this whole idea that the, 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 I guess it's part of the whole propagation of the species, of course, uh, but it is also this example of how we do experience oneness. So um, the last part of this whole thing, which is about methods, but really it's about um what he talks about is you begin to find who you are close to spiritually and you call upon them to take the impurities or the stuff from you. And the example he gives and, and talks a lot about is is Kali, the symbol, uh, the goddess in India that uh, is, uh, destroys. It's the destroyer of impurities. And, you know, of course, many of you know how Kali's depicted severed heads and a huge uh, um, hatchet kind of a thing. And uh, and then at, the, at her feet is another severed head. So... Uh, it it uh, it is a model about using that particular method to just allow. Th- there's an intention to to ask for this stuff to be given up. I mean, we want to hold on so. Much. I mean, I just had an experience the other day, of uh, it was a, a relationship thing, and and it was a matter of I could feel how I just wanted to hold on to that piece of separateness. Uh, and it had to do with pride, okay? So in this, when I could wake up and calm down, then I could go to, okay, I do need help. I do want to give it up. I mean, I, I primarily, of course, use Neem Karoli Baba as let me, you know, let you eat this up. Uh, but Kali is a fantastic example. And, and as he said, it's whoever you're close to spiritually, Christ, anybody, it doesn't matter. And, and but there's a way that that intention to give up the stuff that you can recognize is uh, that you're hanging on to uh that intention to want to give it up and having that being that model out there whoever it may be that spiritual being who is completely free then uh you got a chance something's going to happen so here it is uh, ramdas uh, Separation, lust, and Kali, or the method of Kali, but I'm going to put it there on the old Be Here Now Network Ramdas Here Now page as Kali because it's, uh, it is it uh, is immediately identifiable as to what we can do with Kali. And there's some great kirtan to Kali, by the way. Check out Krishnadas. Uh, and his uh, music, if you haven't already, most of you, I would have to say 90-some percent, know who he is and how great uh, the chant thing that he does and has all these wonderful records. The last record he has, by the way, in this you can go up on Amazon and help us out by purchasing it there through our Amazon link, putting it up into your bookmark. It's called Kirtan Walla, W-A-L-L-A-H, Kirtan Walla. Uh, from a couple of years ago. It's got some really excellent, excellent tracks. Uh, so um, that means, by the way, purveyor of Kirtan, wallet. Yeah. So this is Raghu again. Thanks, everybody. Um, please let us know... Uh, how you feel about what we're doing, let us know if there's some other subjects that we, we can even dig in, like if you said, well, we want to hear more about lust. I bet we could find more Ramda stuff about lust, so send us some comments, uh, and please go and download that app. That's really important uh, to us, because we put a lot of work into the Heart Mind app. Again, one word, Heart mind, Go to the Apple Store and uh, the app store, the Apple App Store, and get it see you next week on ramdas here and now you think that you are
1: somebody
2: and if i ask you who you are unless you are just having read some books like ramana maharshi and giving an intellectual answer mainly who you are will come out to be a social, psychological,
1: physical entity. Call it ego, or ego structure. Now, just like a
2: topological map, There might be a little something, and then stuff like rock formations. There was a little uh, erosion or a little um, eruption, and then the sands of time build over it and build over it and build over it, and you get the thing accentuated more and more and more. So you have a lot of unique personality characteristics. You're somebody. <clears throat> and you can clean up a lot of the superficial stuff, the symptoms, the manifestations. But the question is what is the core of the illusion of separateness?
1: The illusion of a separate psychological self. <clears throat> Now, the core of it,
2: psychologists would treat as existing within this lifetime, saying you start out in the womb and you come forth from the womb, and then either through the trauma of the womb or through early psychological training, you start to develop a separate self. And psychologists would say, as I said, because I'm a psychologist, They would say that it was pre-symbolic, first six months of life, emotionally loaded, central concepts of self. But the mystic spiritual tradition treats you as a continuing entity across birth. And sees that what you start with as a fertilized egg is not a blank slate on which an ego is written, but a very definite set of factors, predisposing factors, a very unique map already developed that is going to start to manifest as
1: time goes on.
2: And that is the result of previous births, and where does that go back to? The question of how did separateness
1: begin? It's what
2: in Christianity is called original sin. It's the original act in which the, the entity becomes separate from the whole. It's the act of
1: separation. In the Biblical story, it concerns
2: the eating of the apple and the committing oneself to be separate from God, separate from the Tao, separate from the flow, however you want to call it. And that sense of separateness which is based on the original, what's called sin, which translates as missing the mark, as Alan Watts used to point out to me. Sin, which means missing the mark, means that you lost the whole and you got attached to the part because you got attached to identifying with a component of the whole. The result is a certain separateness, and the minute you are separate from the home base, Although you are still receiving your sustenance from the home base, you build a whole psychological model to protect your separateness and to justify your separateness.
1: So that the first thing that
2: is at the root of the illusion of a separate self is a sense of separateness. From the whole, of breaking off from the whole, which is the result of original sin, not sin bad and good, but sin choice to go against the flow of it all. You are all the descendants, not only descendants in the sense of father, 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 mother, 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 but descendants in the sense of incarnations of that which made the original sin. That's who you are, otherwise you wouldn't be on this earth. If you didn't have this separateness, you wouldn't have manifested as a separate entity. Your birth in a physical form is merely the result of that. Okay? You're just seeing the symptoms of it now.
1: That's what you're dealing with here.
2: And the process of going home, the process of becoming free or enlightened or liberated, is, means free or enlightened or liberated from all molds, from all models, including a sense of a separate self. So that you become your consciousness, your identity becomes one with identity. That is, the Jivatman becomes one with the Atman, the small self becomes one with the large self, The separate mind merges into the Buddha mind, however you want to say that. And then there is this one mind and all these little manifestations. And at that level of reality, there's only one of us in this hall just caught in the illusion of our separatenesses. But we are only one of us. And if I go deep enough into me and you go deep enough into you, it turns out there's only one of us talking to itself. You hear what I'm saying? That's the process of going home. That's shedding away, like peeling an onion, all the levels of the illusions of separateness.
1: Peeling away level by level. level. Now, if you uh, take that separate entity,
2: now cast out of the Garden of Eden cast out of being in harmony with all of the forces of the universe. So now, how does this separate entity deal with the forces of the universe? Well, as anthropologists will tell you, like Florence Cluckhone, there are three strategies cultures have shown in dealing with this. One is man under nature, one is man in nature, and one is man over nature. Man under nature is total fear of the powers of the universe and propitiating offerings and all to the gods of the wind and so on, and fear of those forces that act that are much greater than the separate self. You feel you're suddenly this little tiny separate thing while before you were the whole thing. Now suddenly you're this little thing and all these other forces in the universe are no longer you, they're separate from you because you've defined your boundaries as your phenomenal self, as including my head, my eyes, my arms, my legs, and suddenly there's rivers and all that, and it's them. It's not any longer us. Hear that? So that many cultures develop a fear of them and surrender to it. Not really surrender, but try to propitiate it. I'll do this, I'll give blood sacrifices if you won't destroy me. Man under nature, it's called. The other strategy of unconsciousness is the one the Western cultures take at the moment, which is man over nature. The power of our mind will solve all problems. That's what we say. That our separate mind will be able to rule the oceans, rule the heavens, rule the earth. We will be able to wring from the physical universe everything we need to maintain our separateness. In other words, ultimately what they're saying is the human intellect is God. We can create our heaven with our own minds.
1: The tension, neurosis,
2: ecological crises, uh, imminence of starvation, uh, all of this shows some question as to whether man's going to succeed in doing that or not. But that is the one of man over nature. It's power of man in relation to the forces around him. The third one is the Taoist one, which you can read in the Tao Te Ching, which is man is as a separate entity but within the flow of nature. That's the more conscious one. That's the one we are moving towards now. We are moving towards a Taoist philosophy uh, and you people more than most of the people in the culture. Of tuning with the flow of things, not bucking it so much, but listening to hear how it is, rather than deciding how you want it.
1: This separate self, which is
2: separate from the whole, has within it a sense of smallness. Now that smallness is reinforced every time you're born because you're this tiny little helpless thing and there's all these powerful forces around you. I remember once going to a science fair at the Boston Mechanics Hall And they had a room that was designed for what it would be like if you were a very tiny child. And the toilet bowl was up there, and the sink was way up there, and the human legs were these huge things, because you couldn't see above the kneecaps. And it was like you were living in a world of giants, and you felt very tiny and very, very uh, impotent, impotent, impotent. Now, that's based on a psychological model. On the spiritual model, that comes from the original sin, from the sense of separateness, from you being separate in relation to the whole of the universe. Okay? So there's two feedings in. One is this, this birth, and one is the whole, whole spiritual history of your entity-ness. Okay? Both of them feeding a sense of smallness, unworthiness, inadequacy. So it turns out That at the root of your separateness, at the root of this psychological illusion, is not only a feeling of separateness, but qualities of that separateness smallness, unworthiness, inadequacy. Can you hear that?
1: That you cover for the rest of your life
2: with proving yourself. Achievements Aren't I good? Look what I've accomplished? Do you love me enough? That's all based on overriding a basic basic core place of I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, I'm impotent. Not necessarily in relation to other people, just a very deep feeling in there of unworthiness. And you are constantly even proving to yourself that you can
1: do it. And that's what the whole achievement motivation is really built upon in the society, playing upon that and the whole
2: conditional love model. See? And the whole basis of psychological neurosis is, if you really knew me, you wouldn't be able to love me at all because I'm really no good. But I'll appear to be good, and I'll do good things, and then you'll love me. Okay, now you hear that as Genesis. Now here we are. We are human beings. We are attempting to go to God. Part of going to God, of going into God, means letting go of the stuff that keeps you from going to God. And the major stuff that keeps you from going to God is the model you have of who you are. That's the main thing, because that's feeding your sense of
1: separateness. So,
2: what your job now becomes is developing the discriminative wisdom, the sort of discrimination, to see that which is in you which will liberate you and that which is in you which is keeping you from being liberated and everything that is in you that is keeping you from being liberated, you give up. Now, you say, I can't give it up, that's who I am. Okay, there's one of them, you give up. Right? That's called doubt. And we have all of the traditional, we have the five hindrances and the ten fetters and the 52 whatever it is. I mean, we got on and on and on categories of all the things you got to give up. There's ill will and anger. Okay? Any of you have ill will and anger? Is it getting you to God? You want to get to God? If you want to get to God, then you've got to give up the anger but I can't give up the anger. I'm right. Doesn't matter. You want to get to God? It doesn't matter right, wrong. Get to God. You might end up being righteous, but you won't end up in truth. Righteousness does not lead to truth. I hate to tell you, this is going to be a real shocker to many of you who are extremely moral beings. You can become righteous as all get out. Everybody can say, what a righteous fellow. Isn't she she's so good? You will not be liberated. You'll just be good. That will be nice. You won't make bad karma. You'll make good karma. But it turns out that karma is karma. And you'll keep taking births. You'll go to heaven. That'll be nice. You'll have like a thousand years in heaven. You'll be a part of the angelic host. That'll be really groovy. You won't be liberated, mind you. But it'll be nice. Okay? Then you'll come back again. And next time you might be a little wiser. And you'll say, I want more than righteousness. Because righteousness is based on your seeing only as high as two, not as high as one. For in two there is good and evil. And most of the fundamentalist Christian religions are based on only seeing up to two, where they elevate the devil to having the same power as God. For they know not that the devil is but the other face of God or behind the two is the one. It doesn't mean you are immoral, but it means you aim for truth within certain basic laws. If you go against certain laws, like there is a simple rule of this spiritual game, you're not going to be able to override without a karmic pay payment. And it's really a fundamental one. You cannot... Elevate one soul spiritually at the expense of another soul. Then, any action you take to liberate yourself that keeps another being from being liberated will prevent you from being liberated. You just can't do it. In other words, you are my exercise on my own consciousness so I can be in God more and more of the time. I told you that yesterday but if this wasn't useful for your liberation, I couldn't do it.
1: You understand that?
2: Another example is um, you're a parent, and you want to meditate, and your children are bothering you. And you uh, impose things on them which increase their Fear, separateness, and paranoia. In order that you can meditate, you can't build your meditation on the bones
1: of their paranoia. You understand that? Okay. Okay. So uh, anger is not going to get you there. So you're going to have to give it up. Ill will. Um, doubt.
2: Now, a doubt is a very healthy thing. Doubt is the root of science. The science is based on the, like statistics are based on the null hypothesis. Nothing's really happened. Okay. Then we'll disprove it, probably. Not something might have happened. But it's all based on doubt, because that's the rational mind works on the basis of doubt. But the trip to God doesn't. This is a tricky one, because you're you're going to have to override your rational mind, and that's a stinker, because the whole society is based on worshipping the rational mind. All the colleges that many of you went to, those are temples to the rational mind, and the professors are the high priests. And people like Henry Kissinger and all that, these are high priests of the rational mind. Herman Kahn, all these people. And we worship them. We worship them like we've worshiped psychiatrists, as the medicine men of the tribes. And both of them had very inadequate tools to liberate mankind. For the rational mind, just left free, not as a servant, but as a master, does not liberate. It, It is an instrument of the ego. It is an instrument designed to protect your sense of separateness. Whether that separateness involves just your body, you as a separate entity, or your nation. It is based on fear, inadequacy, impotence, unworthiness. Doubt. So that after a while, like when you come into this seminar, You say, okay, for five days I'll do the seminar. How many times in the past two days have you thought about whether or not you should do it or whether or not it'll work? That's all doubt. That's absurd. You paid money to come to a system to do something to you and then you spend time deciding whether or not you'll do it. I mean, just from a reasonable point, even rational mind can see the absurdity of that one. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to all that, okay? Okay. I've got to build my case before I can tell you how to get rid of it.
1: <laughs> now, doubt is based on not wanting to be conned.
2: Okay? Because, see, you feel unworthy, inadequate, and not good enough. I already told you that. That's way down deep. So you've got to be careful because there's all these powers around you that might exploit you, take advantage of you, con you, rip you off, use you up, right? so you better be careful. So doubt is a good thing, see, from that point of view. But it's also maintaining that separateness, so it's not letting it happen. You hear that? So the game is that you make, you look around and you see that some being or some method or something you're going to make a commitment to. It might be a limited commitment, it might be a commitment of five days, but when you make that commitment, you make it, and you're in doubt, you eat it. And the more profound doubt, is there God, can I be liberated, can I be enlightened, is there a pure mind behind it all? Once you have either met somebody who is, read something that feels right to you, or had an experience where for a moment you were it, you then say, okay, I think it's going to be, I will go as if it were, and then every time doubt comes up, instead of playing with it, that masturbatory game of doubt, you consume it, give it up, and go on. Because it's not going to get you to God. Doubt isn't going to get you there. Because doubt will keep reinforcing the reality you're trying to escape from. So we've got ill will and anger and doubt. Then we have uh, the uh, energy ones, agitation, sloth, and torpor. Okay? Agitation is the mind going in all directions. The, the completely out-of-control mind is agitation, agitated mind. That's the one you wake up, the one I give examples in lectures. You wake up in the morning and you, what's the routine now? Uh, the first thing you think on waking is, oh, shit, I've got to get up. My knee hurts. I've got to go to the bathroom. I wish I could smell coffee. God, I've got to do my laundry today. Oh, I've got five more minutes, I can stay in bed. Oh, what was that mantra? Oh, uh, <laughs> right. uh, i got to go to the bathroom Oh, I, ooh, gee, I wonder if I'll see that girl today Oh, i got to do my laundry Oh, I forgot to call Oh, I think I'll sleep What was that dream I was just having? What's that noise I hear outside? And so it starts And that's the brrrr of the mind It's like one of those drills, you know? And it, You know how when it's outside your window It drives you up the walls Well, that's your mind Doing it to you, okay? and you're buying in the whole trip ooh I wonder ooh yes ah yes ooh yes eh? Eh? and at one moment you're somebody who needs to go to the bathroom at the next moment you're somebody who's listening to the noise outside at the next moment you're somebody who's blowing his nose or picking his nose the next moment you're somebody who's trying to sleep two more minutes and you're just each one is a different you're just agitated you're just here and there all the place your mind is completely out of control lift move place shift lift move, place, shift. Okay. And all the starts to disappear into the background at first, and then it begins like the sound of crickets at night. You know, they don't intrude, they're just doing their thing, they're going cricket, 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 you know, in the background. You can listen to them, but you also can go on doing whatever you do, and pretty soon they just dim into like a symphony in the background, and that's what actually happens to your thought form. They become like a, just a, a background, a wash a wash
1: against which you paint your images. Lust. This may be irrelevant, but I'll talk about it anyway. (laughs) It is interesting that not only Christian do-gooders
2: and Bible freaks Deal with the issue of lust. But almost every basic esoteric religion that is concerned with liberation deals with lust.
1: Your predicament is you are a separate entity, unworthy, inadequate, l- separated from the whole way, way
2: back at the beginning. And you are yearning to get back into that feeling of the wholeness. And you are feeling separate and you are using all of your powers to do it. And what is the power you have that will most quickly get you back to that feeling of being one? Well, very simply, that power is the power of the orgasm, power of sex. And it's a beautifully designed game. You must admit that the species is reproduced through that thing which gives you the experience of God and yet keeps you separate because only at the moment of orgasm is there no you and no one else. There is just the orgasm. A moment before it, you are making love. A moment after it, you are remembering But at that moment, and if you're really good, you can stretch it out for about, like, so many seconds, you know. That moment, there is no you. There is merely process. And at that moment, you're in the Tao. You are in the flow of the universe. You can see why sex has that power? Because it is under man's control to bring him to God. woman's control to bring her to God. It is, it is a thing where you can keep your separateness, control it, and bring yourself to that moment, to that space. But you can't have it. It's in time. And because it's in time, it has in it suffering. And lust has inherent within it suffering. There's no way it doesn't. Because you can't make permanent that space of non-separateness. And anything that is in time, as Christ and Buddha both pointed out, among others, is the cause of suffering, because it's here today and gone tomorrow.
1: So that we're not knocking
2: lust. Now there is another element of lust. The arousal process for lust is the arousal of seeing another being as an object the spiritual process of working with another human being is to see them as subject. You understand that? That is, when I look at another person and I am trying to be liberated through that person, my game is to look through all the ways in which you are separate from me and see the way in which you and I are one being. If I am looking at you with lust, I am attached to that in you which is different from that in me because that's what arouses me. Do you understand that, or is that too heavy? So, my actions based on lust, either the arousal or the realization of the lust, are all, although apparently bringing me closer to God, are in a deeper sense taking me away from God. Because they are increasing my seeing other people as objects, and they are increasing my despair, if you will, because they are constantly increasing my suffering. As I get more attached to that act, I am getting more attached to suffering and to the illusion of my suffering. Yes. Yeah. It's still difference. It's still different uh, qualities between what you see in yourself and what you see in the other person. It doesn't matter whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. It is merely a different object. It is not this you are not aroused by yourself, you're aroused by somebody else, and it's that somebody else-ness that's the difference. It doesn't have to be difference of uh, polarity, or yin-yang, it's not that. Yeah. Uh, well, um, most masturbation is with fantasy, uh, which is the same thing, actually. And um, later we'll talk about something like more the mechanical masturbation, which is a little different quality. All right.
1: okay now so that it turns out that lust is not going to get you to God simple as that now this is a heavy one I
2: realize and many of you squirm reasonably so uh, you suddenly agitated you suddenly can't sit quiet you didn't want to hear this thing. I haven't started on dope yet you know I come on like a good guy, so you never kn- knew it was going to creep up on you like this. See? You were going, yes, 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 did you hear what I said? And then I God, like, oh, what did you say yes to? It's okay, it's only five days you agreed to listen to me. Then <laughs> you can go back into your evil ways. <laughs> see, the predicament that you're going to face, and this is the one that's going to haunt you, believe me. This is the heavy one about sex is that sex is totally, obviously, a very beautiful thing.
1: But very clearly,
2: if what you want is to be liberated, and you want to be liberated in this lifetime, if you aspire to that, then every act in your life must bring you closer to God And there is no more act that you do in order to get another rush. Because rushes are the illusion of God but not God. They are the touching of God but the not
1: being in God.
2: And it's tricky to turn away from something. You see, the whole fundamentalist Christian dance is to say the Ten Commandments are good and evil and if you Lust, you are evil. That isn't what this game is about at all. It has nothing to do with good and evil. It is merely functional. You want to get to this place, you do this. You want to get to that place, you do that. You want to enhance your pleasure in the world, you have good sex. And if you don't have good sex, go to a psychotherapist or a sex counselor or a marriage thing or a Esalen group experience or something or take S training or something that will open you up more and more so you can have more fun in the world, more pleasure, more power, more gratification in the world. That would be a reasonable strategy for somebody that wants it in this world. If you want liberation from this world and all worlds so you can be in all worlds but without attachment, if you want that which is means of being in God... This is a very specialized game, I want you to know. Don't enter this lightly and say, because you'll have despair all your life if you say, I am going for liberation, and in truth you are not. You are merely somebody who wants to say he or she is going for liberation, but is not in truth going. Because to go for liberation is a total push program. It involves everything in your life every moment, because everything must be transformed. Total transformation of your being. It's like you can't be on a fruit fast and then go out and have a chocolate frap. You can do it, but then you're not on a fruit fast. It's not evil to have a chocolate frap. It just doesn't get you. I guess you call it milkshake. I'm from Boston. (laughs) I noticed nobody reacted. Huh?
1: <laughs> My provincial nature.
2: So there is nobody saying that sex is bad. It is merely saying you decide what you want and then see what you're willing to invest to get it. Much more like that. Now, you've got to, the whole sexual issue must be understood in a much more interesting context than the one I'm presenting it in. And I'll just put it very simply now and then talk about it at some length later in the weekend. That is, you are not giving up gratification for nothing. Being in love with God or coming into enlightenment takes you into states because ultimately, if you now begin to understand what Tantra is about, Ultimately, you are entering into a sexual, not genital, but sexual in the total sense of sexual, you are entering into a sexual union with God. And that's what all the symbology is about, about the bride of God and all that stuff. You become not only the yoni, that is the vagina, which receives the universe into yourself, but you become the lingam as well, which penetrates into the universe. And the entire game, you are both male and female, and God is, has a both male and female aspect of the mother and the father, and the two of them come together, and that is the orgasmic moment of the Enlightenment. And that is an orgasm that is not just your vagina or clitoris or penis, It is every cell of your organism, every cell of your brain. It is a total orgasm of your entire being. Even deeper than that, it is an orgasm of the soul. That's what you're giving it up for. And the predicament is, there is a balance. You see, when your foot is in the world, you think, I'm giving it up for somebody else's model of how it could be. Once the balance of your feet changes, once you start a taste of this stuff, of the bliss, of the ecstasy, of the union, you go and try to have sex, in the genital sense, and the whole thing looks like some kind of Mickey Mouse um, coloring book of life. I mean, it just doesn't have, it's beautiful, you say, it is beautiful for human beings in the world, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. Not out of good and evil. It was not out of good and evil. Can you hear what the issues are anyway? It is in uh, delay of gratification research known as giving up the little candy bar now for the big candy bar later.
1: (laughs) And it's just a tough period
2: in between. And you can't give this stuff up with, uh, I'm giving it up, see. Because Ramdas says it's not going to be me God, I'm going to give it up. it up, I'm giving it up, I'm giving it up, I'm not having sex, I won't have sex, get away from me, I'm not going to have sex, get away, get away, get away. <laughs> no, nah, forget it, forget it, forget it, go out and rape your neighbor, it won't get you anywhere, see, it's not going to get you to God, all right? And we'll talk about all that later, Okay. Now, you try to follow your breath, and you try to walk simply, and you try to do a meditation, and you come here, but it's not a feel... Your mind is racing, and you're kind of depressed, and you might get an upset stomach. I can't do this stuff. You try to meditate, but your mind's just so agitated, and you really made an effort, and you couldn't do it. Or you say, I've got this bad back, or I've got this, and I can't do it. The thing that feeds most your ego other than the conscious rerunning of the film of your own unworthiness, which is the root one, is self-pity. Poor me. I would like to be like Ram Dass and those people up on the stage, but not me. You know, I mean, the troubles I've got, I mean, if they had a wart like I do, <laughs> they would understand what horror it is. See, everybody's got something. I, I hate to tell you, but I was a therapist for years and years, and people come in and they say, I've told you everything, and you say, well, there's something more. And, oh, no, no, and it takes about six months to finally tell you whatever it is that they pick their nose or whatever their thing is, you know, that they peep in windows or whatever. Everybody's got a thing. I mean, it's so big deal. It's stuff. It's stuff. Everybody, you've all got it. I could dig and find in everyone something, right, that you, oh, no, no, I wouldn't, I'm not going to tell you that, right? When I work with individuals, I often sit down and I say, if there's anything at all that you can bring into your mind that you can't tell me, tell me. (laughs) You can run it through right now, see? If there's anything that comes into your mind, imagine telling me. See, you go through. (sighs) And now you've told me, and I say, right, and here we are. Because that's what I say. I just murdered my mother. I didn't want to tell anybody, but I murdered my mother. (laughs) Right, and here we are. (laughs) That was an interesting example. I wonder where that came (laughs) from. I'm a Freudian, too, see, so it's very heavy.
1: (laughs) Where's this lecture coming from?
2: Okay. Self-pity. Self-pity, unworthiness, ill-will, anger, lust, agitation, torpor, laziness. I can't do it. I'm too, too tired. Doubt. That's it. That'll cover most of your stuff. Okay, everybody's got all of it to one degree or another. Everybody's got all of it. That's the human condition, greed.
1: Forgot greed. Greed. I want more.
2: Greed is the example that Joy gives about greed is there are six dishes of porridge and there are four people of which you are one and you eat three dishes of porridge. No, that would still make it. You eat four dishes of porridge. Okay, that's greed. The only greed you're going to be able to hold on to in this game is the greed for God. Every other greed is going to have to go. Now, all these things that I've listed are all things that are not going to get you to God, very simply. They're just not going to get you there. You can have them if you want to, You can have your righteous anger as much as you'd like, but don't try to get liberated because you're not going to get liberated as long as you have righteous anger. We'll talk later about non-attached anger of the roshi. That's a different matter. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about human condition now. The stuff that's part and parcel of your ego. Okay, now let's say you understand all this that I've said to you and I've said, you want to get rid of it, you want to go to God, get rid of it. And you say, how do I get rid of it? Well, Is that the question? How do I get rid of it? Now it gets interesting. I mean, as a psycho- psychologically sophisticated person, you can't just get rid of it. I'll have to work it out. See? I could analyze it. See? No, 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 that's not getting rid of it. That's just playing with it. That's like playing with your feces. You know? Okay?
1: It's
2: like, let's analyze my anger. Doctor, I'll pay you $50 an hour. We'll analyze my anger. Look at this. Look what I find in this. And it rubs on the walls and everything. Okay? Fecal fixation of the anal expulsive stage of psychosexual development. No analysis. Let's just give it up. But I can't, that's who I am. Well, we'll give it up and then we'll see who you are then. Okay. Now, there are many ways of giving it up. In the Southern Buddhist tradition, they'd say, well, don't be busy giving it up, just follow your breath. And if you're following your breath, you couldn't have it in the first place. Okay. Some of people find that a little arid, a little dry to do. It can be done. But we are following a path of devotion and tantra. And fortunately, there are beings around that will help us, and it's called grace. It's the vehicle of grace. And that is, if you truly want to get rid of this stuff, there are beings that will help you by taking it away from you. These are beings, just as Hanuman, I was telling you last night about Hanuman's reality, and I explained to you about Maharaji, who's been dead for two years, who's teaching me now, along with other beings who are not in their bodies. So there are beings on this plane and other planes who are there and available in order to help you get rid of the stuff you need to get rid of in order to go to God. That is what they are doing in form, be it physical or not. On the physical plane, that form is usually called the guru. And the guru is a mirror designed with no attachment and no clinging and no conditionality designed to liberate you from this stuff specifically. That's what the vehicle does. That's the way the guru works. It is both to liberate you from the stuff and to give you a statement of what the possibility is, both. They both work in the same process, which you can
1: understand more later on. On other
2: planes, there are other beings designed to do that. And what you do is you begin to find who you are close to spiritually and you call upon them to take this stuff from you. You give it to them, if you will. Now, the chief figure in this whole drama
1: from my point of view is well, let me backtrack one
2: thought form first. Is this, are you still with me or is it, am I pushing you to it? You're really absorbing an awful lot of stuff, by the way. I mean, this is very condensed. I'm not
1: making it easy for you.
2: All forms in the universe are the mother. I already told you that. I talked about consuming the mother last night in the feast and the flesh and the blood of Christ and that the form of Christ is the mother because the son is the form of the father form of god made manifest and all form of god made manifest is the mother that's the within that way of understanding it the all form is the mother and you ultimately consume the mother now what you do is that there are different aspects of the mother there are different qualities of the mother And these qualities, some of these qualities are extremely like the day and the lake and the tree and the blue sky and the sun are beautiful and seductive qualities of the mother. And they make the illusion deeper and more beautiful and they are the illusion. That is maya, the illusion it's called. There are other aspects of the mother which are designed to help you get free of all of your attachments in the world. And so, in effect, what you do is you align yourself with that aspect of the mother in order to override your attachments to the other aspects of the mother, if you will. Is that too subtle? You're working within the mother, using the mother to beat the mother in order to go to the father. That's really the symbology of the whole game. And that aspect of the mother that you use is called, in the Hindu family is called Kali.
1: Kali Ma. Kali. Kali is one of the ugliest beings you could
2: ever hope to meet. No, hope not to meet. I mean, it's not just caricature ugly, which is the way most people depict Kali. Kali is ugly, ugly, scary, ugly, because you've never seen ugliness like that. When you see Kali, you are shaken to the core. You know you have seen true ugliness, for it's it's dark, gorged with blood. It has uh, like fangs. Its tongue drips blood. It wears a circlet of skulls. There's blood dripping from its fingers. It holds a dagger in its hand, and it's got blood red eyes, and it's got uh, it's it's. Uh, hair going out in all directions, and it's just ugly, ugly, sagging breasts, and it's just, uh, nobody you would want to meet on a dark night, <laughs>
1: right?
2: Kalima. But Kalima's ugliness and ferocity is aimed at only one thing is aimed only at those things in you which keep
1: you from going to God.
2: So here's the peculiar predicament of playing with Kali. That if you want to hold on to your stash of attachments, Kali looks incredibly ugly. If, on the other hand, you want to give up your stuff, there is Kali to take it from you. And when you surrender to Kali and say, Kali, whatever it is that you want, take. Because I don't want it because I'm going to God. Then Kali changes. And instead of the ugly aspect of Kali, you begin to see that within the heart of Kali is the golden Kali. And you see the golden goddess that lies within that form. And that form, that ugly form, is the form that can consume Everything, all evil, all that which takes you from God, including the devil, can
1: consume it all. Now,
2: Kali, just like Maharaji, just like Christ, remember when Christ said, where a few are gathered, or whatever, two or more, or whatever that statement was, are gathered in my name, there I will be? Well, that wasn't a put-on, that isn't a metaphor, that is literally true. That when you call in purity, such a being comes you may not have the third eye open sufficiently to see that being, but it comes anyway.
1: So it is with Kali. When you call Kali, she
2: comes. When you say, Kali Ma, take this anger, she will come and eat it. And you've got to understand that Kali lives off of this stuff that you don't want if you want to go to God. She eats it. She eats it. This is what feeds Kali. Kali is fed by impurities. But don't taunt Kali. Don't offer to feed her when you want to hold on to the food yourself. Don't say, here, Kali, take my anger and then hold on to your anger. You've got to give it to Kali because she gets really, uh, she goes after you when you don't give her what you said you give her. I mean, don't call Kali if you don't want her. See, this is where it separates the the beings that really want to go the trip from those that just want to want to go the trip. See, if you want to want to go to the trip, just hang out here for the weekend and play and be nice and look holy and collect a little stuff and listen, it'll be interesting. And say, well, maybe another lifetime. But if you say, baby, I'm going for broke because I see that everything else is going to end up in suffering, I'm really going to go the trip now because I understand Buddha's four noble truths. At that point... Then you say, okay, Kali, do it to me. And you give it up, and it will creep back. You don't take it back. It'll creep back because you're still open, and every time it creeps back, you will give it up again. And what you give up, you give up in the falling, not in the rising. That is, somebody comes along and says, I think everything you're doing with the Spirit is a crock of shit and you fury and anger rise in you. There's the moment. Kali, take the anger. Not after you've gone through the fury and the anger and you're feeling better and you say, oh, Kali, take it. (laughs) Forget that. Like a depression. You get depressed. You're really depressed.
1: You're really depressed.
2: And... You don't want to give up your depression, because it's warm and cuddly. It's really horrible, but it's horribly nice. It's familiar. And somebody says, I mean, somebody comes to me and they say, I'm really depressed, and I say, well, give it up. Well, do you, you know what it's like when you're depressed? Somebody, they say, you don't understand. <laughs> Isn't that the way you do it? You don't understand how depressed I am, you know? No, give it up. And when I have a student that is really a student of mine, they say, I'm depressed, and I say, give it up. And they say, oh, I said, okay, either give it up or leave the teaching. Because I told you to give it up, and you're surrendering to me. And that's the rule of the game. Give it up. Give it up right now, right in front of me, right this second. Well, I can't. Well, I'll show you how. You want to give it up to Kali? Here, Kali Ma, you take it. And then you start to breathe in and out of your heart, and with every outbreath, you let it go. You send it out. You offer it up to the mother. You give it up. You just start to offer it to Kali Ma. And you end up just offering all this stuff every time it comes. The lust starts, you don't wait till you've got the fantasy and the erection and you've run through the whole thing and then say, Kali, take it. She doesn't want eating food. Okay? But the minute the arousal starts, the minute you see somebody and you don't see them as God, you see them as an object you can go to bed with, the minute that object, that image starts, the minute that vibration starts, here, Kali, take it. That's heavy, you see. That's really separating the sheep from the goats. It's really deciding who really wants to go to God and who just wants to play. It's heavy to even lay on a seminar like this. Because most of you, in truth, want to want to go to God. You don't really want to go to God. It's just the way it is. It's not bad or good. It's just a matter of evolution and oldness of beings. But there is nobody here that could not get to God. I mean, I... This game is so selective at an astral plane, not on the physical plane, that you wouldn't be in this room if, it, if these, words were, these words could not hurt you, by the way. I'm incapable of hurting you. So that there is nobody here that could not possibly hear those words and get to God in this lifetime. It's just impossible that you could be in this room at this moment. You would have decided you had cramps, or you were called away by an emergency or something. You wouldn't be here, or your car would have broken down, you never would have gotten here.